1: Sedia Chronicles is a B.I.A. Chronicles production.
0: Now before we start our chat, we want you to head over to SediaChronicles.com forward slash Patreon and subscribe to the Chronicles to membership with a free seven-day trial. Get priority access to every episode and voice note before the rest of the world. Plus, no ads and bonus Patreon-only exclusive episodes and video episodes. Mm. Also, be sure to join the new chat community in the Patreon app and chat with fellow subscribers.
2: Buona ragazzi. Welcome to another year of Serie A football. Another year on the Serie A Chronicles podcast. It's Nikki Bandini welcoming you in to 2024, and I have with me for the new year our recently upgraded crew of myself, Mina Riziki, and Patrick Kendrick. Uh, guys, did you have amazing
0: Christmases and New Years? Amazing is a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but. Um- it it was nice. There was a at one point on New Year's Eve where it was raining so heavily. <laughs> I I started to contemplate suicide. That might be too much, but oh my gosh, the bad. weather is just. <laughs> Sorry, but it's just I, I st- I'm starting to get that seasonal
1: effectiveness disorder disorder, disorder that, that you
0: get. Is, yeah.
1: Yes, it's a great
0: acronym. Sad, and I am. I'm sad because of sad. It is, it is, it's perfect. And I'm watching it there was a New Year game, which I don't even remember now because I'm starting to lose my memory because this is what happens with old age as well. And I just started to think like, <laughs> how could it be raining this much? Yeah, I think it was the Spurs game. No, it wasn't, it was Fulham. It was Fulham. Oh, Nikki, that was a hideous game on behalf of your boys. But anyway. Oh <laughs> God. Oh, I'm sorry, Nikki. It's just one hideous performance after another by Miguel Arteta. <sighs> But anyway, uh, and so then I was like, yep, yeah, it's, it's been a really nice Merry Christmas because all the family is around. But then New Year's weather kind of ruined it a bit. And then, you know, it's the usual disappointment when it comes to December 31st. But that's all about me. What about you, Patrick?
2: <laughs> well, I, I actually have a bone to pick with Patrick. I need to, I need to cut Patrick off because we need to talk about something.
1: Ah, yes, let's hear it.
2: Something very important, which is that Patrick, who um, was actually just telling us before the show that he had a couple of not such um, good episodes of luck going back home to England for Christmas. So he went to Naples for Christmas this year. Great choice. Uh, he was treating himself at Christmas to some pizza fritta. Again, great choice. But for some reason, he chose to come at in Brodo. For some reason, he thought that he couldn't just enjoy his pizza fritta. He had to come at. I was going to say the best. Christmas food, but it's not Christmas food. Have your tortellini brodo all year round. Have it in the summer, have it in the spring. I don't care because when you're a true child of Emir Romagna of Bologna, like myself, then you uh, absolutely are absolutely having that stuff all year and you're loving it all year.
1: I think it is, it's sort of like the, the Ronaldo-Messi debate, although it pains me to try and put <laughs> you know, tortellini in brodo in that category because but you know, it's you're not content simply to say Cristiano Ronaldo is the best player of his generation. You then have to denigrate the other one as well to sort of justify your point. So for me it was like pizza <laughs> frita, I mean it's nailed on as the best Italian, you know, food on Christmas Eve, but as soon as someone came back at me with with a rival, then I feel you have to sort of step in and also slate them. So that's why I don't think Tortellini and Broda would have necessarily felt my wrath had it not been for people levelling at me as a possible... Oh, no, actually, to be fair, I I think we would... Yeah, no... Actually, I was the one that, that led with that offensive, to be honest, wasn't I? I said, I think you can keep your tortellini you before I make mine a pizza frita. So I think <laughs> I must have been discussing it with Northerners in the build up to Christmas. And I was gloating at the fact I was heading south and that's what I was going to be eating. So I think it was it was premeditated. So, yeah, I hold my hands up and, um, and there you have it. But, yeah, the pizza frita was, Nicky, was he's delicious right. <laughs> and uh, easy. Mina just slapped me up. So that's two against one. And I think uh, that's, a, that's a landslide, isn't it? 66%.
2: Well, this is outrageous. Um, I would like to be backed up by our listeners. Listeners, hopefully you've had the pleasure in your life to go to Bologna or nearby places and to enjoy proper pasta. And you can all tell Patrick how wrong he is. But in the meantime, we should probably start talking about the football. Uh, Juventus Roma, Patrick, uh, this was part of your festive uh, feast was uh, doing commentary on this game. It was a fascinating setup, I suppose, between the two teams who we know love to win a cortamuso. That might be Max Legui's phrase, but we certainly know Jose is not afraid of going for those 1-0 results in, uh, or even 0-0 results some of the time against uh, the big clubs. It, it was a cagey game. It felt to me like perhaps Roma felt like they were getting the better at the start of the game. But somehow it also felt to me like, yeah, but you knew that in the end it's Max Allegri and his Juventus team know how to do this better.
1: Yeah, it felt a little bit inevitable that that, that would be the result as and when Rabiot got the got the breakthrough. And, and the biggest thing for Juventus was, I've spoken about it on previous episodes of the pod, scoring early is is huge for this team because they actually relish defending a lot more than they actually seem to enjoy pursuing goals in the first place. So I think as and when they've got their goal, particularly against sides which can become quite predictable. And I put Roma into the same bracket as I did Fiorentina when they lost at the Frankie earlier on this season. When you don't seem to have a plan B and you're just getting to the edge of Juventus's box and playing slow sideways passes, it's turgid possession, or you're tossing the ball into the box where Danilo, Bremer and Gatti just thrive on on heading the ball clear, then I think you're, you're playing right into Juventus's hands. So to me, it was always a case of if Juventus score... Then they will go on and win the game, and that goal came relatively early in the second half. And besides a shot from from Brian Cristante, which took a deflection off Lahovic very early on and caught the outside of the post, Roma never really looked like scoring. Actually, Cristante spoke to to um, to Lega yeah after the game, and he said, "I think we produced an excellent performance. I think you know the game came came down to fine margins, and it just felt like platitudes being trotted out." I've, you know, my response to that is what game were you watching? Juventus, for the umpteenth time this season, never really looked under threat. They never really looked like conceding. And I'm actually beginning to revise my opinion of them. Before, I was very much in the camp of this is not sustainable, winning by one goal um it's not necessarily conducive to a title challenge but what i'd now think is actually they defend so well that provided they don't give away easy goals like they did at frosinone and genoa and allegri was hammering them about that then i actually think this is this is quite a good approach for this team who are relatively limited in terms of the way they play football, but they do have star quality to get goals. And there was a nice cameo for an hour from Kenan Agnildiz as well, who really pushed on from what we'd seen at, at Frosinone. So I think there's enough in this team that makes me think that they can actually go on and, and push Inter. And I think Inter are getting a little bit frightened. And I think Inter are also... Very frustrated by the fact that they feel that when they win, they batter teams, and you know they they love hearing this praise, and I think they're congratulating themselves on being the best footballing side and producing the most aesthetically pleasing football. And I think it actually rankles with them and really riles them the fact that this Juventus side, that are quite ordinary, are only two points behind. But again, Inter have only themselves to blame for that because. They couldn't get over the line at Genoa. But I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with what Allegri's doing. I'm thoroughly impressed with with what this Juventus team is doing. I think they are um, really impressive in terms of the sum of their parts. If you look at those individual players, it's not a vintage side by any means, but this was built up to be the whole resultatista, uh, you know, it was the battle of. Allegri against Mourinho, the ends justify the means and the only thing that matters is getting a result. And in the end, Allegri showed that he's still capable of doing that in 2023. Now it's 2024. And I think it seems to have passed Mourinho by his ability to get results in one-off games in big matches.
0: What he said, <laughs> basically. <yeah. laughs>
1: Head to seriachronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and subscribe to the Chronicles Tifosi Patreon membership with a free seven-day trial. Get early access to every full-length episode and voice note before the rest of the world. Plus, all episodes are 100% ad-free. And you get bonus Patreon-only exclusive episodes, video episodes, and behind-the-scenes extras. Also, be sure to join the new chat community in the Patreon app and chat with fellow subscribers.
0: This is a really interesting thing because when you look at um, when you look at sort of like the statistics last year, because they kept a lot of clean sheets at one point as well, Juventus. And then if you look at the statistics, it looked like they were really lucky that they were getting away with with so much um, defensively, and that it's there was going to be a point where they would have to. Um, go back to the mean, basically, and, and and realize that they are performing above expectations because of the way that they were defending was not good enough, um, frankly speaking. Nowadays, when you look at their XG and the way that they're playing and and how they are defending, what they're allowing is shots from outside of the box because they think they can pretty much manage that. And everything inside has become so difficult because of course they have that mix of physicality um, um, and uh, just downright determination at the back. And when you look at the way that they were defending, it was such compact, tight lines, so perfectly clear, like seamless, you know, in the sense, five at the back, you know, three packed in the middle, um, and everyone was doing their part. And I think that that when you look at the way that they're defending now, no, they are not performing above expectations, they are performing to expectations. Um, and, And I don't see them actually... In any way, shape, or form, falling apart. What worries me as well is that when you watched Inter against Genoa, was the performances of some of their players that have always been so important to them. Whether that's Turam, and you can we can talk about that later, but it's also how gassed they looked. Like, I mean, Channel Loglu looks exhausted. Um, and, and I think that's that's something that they are playing more games. I don't know if that's going to be something that will eventually give Allegri the upper hand, or we don't know, because there's obviously the Copa Italia to come up um, for Juventus and that they're going to play and we'll, we'll see what we do. But it's the 20th clean sheet for Juventus in 2023. It's their 12th 1-0 success of the year in 2023. Um, I think that when you have Lukaku, for some reason, you when it comes to Lukaku and Juve's defense, whoever's playing at the back, there's a problem there. He seems to always, they know how to shut him out um, and they managed to do that. And they couldn't really uh, trigger Diwale in the way that they wanted to do either. Um, and you just, I think it's worth mentioning that Rabiot is, it's, it's bizarre with Rabiot because I don't know what to think of him. I used to think he was the worst midfielder in the world and now I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. Like he's been brilliant this year, you know? <laughs> so not brilliant at all times. I mean, you and I spoke about this, Nikki, when I was praying, praying that someone would come and purchase him, you know, when we were doing our show together on Sky. And I was just <sighs> looking at him and thinking, this is not to the level. And I firmly believe in a great midfield ne- wins you matches. And I look at this midfield and I'm quite amazed really at how McKenney's performing because this was a guy that was relegated last season in the Premier League. This was a guy that they were trying to sell deeply. And he's not a brilliant footballer, but I thought that he's he he's always available. There's he's always looking for a way to just, you know, get back the ball and move it forward. I think there's just so many different performances in that midfield that for me is so subpar and not ever of the quality that I would expect from Juventus. And yet here's the side that's managing to just use its will and its mentality to get to get further. And the fact is. Is that all Allegri could talk about in his post match conference is the fact that there's another kid that he wants to introduce called Nonch that he hasn't had a um, an opportunity to launch yet. And I think that tells you everything that you need to know. This isn't a team built on in- investing well in the market because the players that, you know, like Pogba that they did try to bring or Vlaovic haven't necessarily, well, Pogba hasn't even been available and Vlaovic is in and out of the team. But this was a great performance from him. This is a team that's really looking to the to their squad, to their youth, to make a difference. And they are making a difference. And I, that is what I think that Allegri constantly gets hassled about. Oh, you don't know how to develop players. Oh, you don't introduce youth. I don't know. I think he knows how to do both of them. And I think that the proof is in the pudding. We just need to see the performances this year. And Yildiz looks like a, a superstar in the making. I don't even think Juve can keep this guy anymore.
2: <laughs> it's a bit. It's a quick response from Meena already straight away after a flash, giving up the ghost on on keeping uh, keeping hold of a player. Perhaps that relates to uh, all the economic woes that's going to come with the growth decree, which we will also talk about in a little bit. Um, I, I thought um, to talk about the the sort of tactical part of things, and um, I mean you mentioned tight lines there, Meena. Actually, I thought one of the things that was interesting in this game is the two teams mirrored each other in theory. You had two teams notionally playing in, in the same formation, which is 3 five, 2 but they didn't really look that much like each other. And actually to me, that's because Roma's mid, uh, well, say, Juventus' midfield was much more fluid than Roma's. Juventus' midfield had runners. Juventus' midfield had Rabio, had McKinney willing to get up and down and connecting with the forwards and the forwards willing to drop back and, and take space. That Roma midfield three, they're solid. Paredes, Bova, Cristante, but there was no action from it. There was no up and down. And and when Cristante was, was talking about, oh, this game could have gone either way, look, he hit the woodwork at the beginning of the game. But after that, I'm I'm completely in agreement with Patrick because it felt like the idea was hold your lines and it almost felt like that extended the attack. You've just got get the ball to Lukaku and Dybal and, and hope they do something, which I can see why that would be the formula because frankly, that formula has worked plenty for Roma this season, but it's not a good enough formula for top level football, for elite level football, I think in 2023, 2024, I should say now it was still it was still last year when this game happened i think that for all the criticism of allegri's football some of it which i think is still justified i am not willing to go all the way to this team is suddenly now in in this uh um, perfect mode just cuz it wins every game 1-0 but there's there is a much more natural fluidity and um Therefore, unpredictability, I think, to this Juventus team than there is to Roma, even though they are still a cautious team, perhaps. And I think that's how you get openings like Grabio running through for that goal, even if it has meant perhaps that you haven't had quite as productive seasons from the centre forwards um, as, as Roma's have, where there's so much focus on getting the ball to them.
0: I think that mostly what I, I wanted to say in that is that I agree with you. I think what Juventus have is youth. And there was a lot of talk in the summer about how best to use that. And in the beginning, it was a case of let's try to press and harry every opponent in front of us. And that's how they played, you remember, in their first few matches. You could see that there was a different way of approaching this. It seems like Allegri to then just said, like, let's let's revert to type, Let's make sure that we have a, a good defence. But it was clear that his... In, what he wanted to do in the first half was to leave the ball to Roma and see what they could do, um, and you know play sort of a, like you know you take the ball, let's see what you can do. We can get a goal and then just defend, and all, most importantly, we can introduce Chiesa afterwards, and then Chiesa is a great counter-attacking player as well, and that gives us another hand that, that if we hadn't scored a goal, then perhaps he can do something by la- launching something going forward, and that's it's it's clear that there's you know like there's a co- obviously a rotation up front. There isn't really other than players like Gravio, for example, and Bremer at the back. So up, up front, it keeps changing and we keep seeing different plans, whether it's Yielders up front, or as it can, um, obviously Vlaovic and Chiesa. And there just seems to be this way of trying to use it as much as possible. There isn't a clear plan. There isn't a clear team right now for Juventus because the midfield is all over the place and the attack is all over their place. Yet everyone understands what they're going to do off the ball and everyone seems to know what to do on the ball. And I think that's what's impressive. But I don't also think that it's a very beautiful team going forward i just think it's a very pragmatic and intelligent team and that is how you sort of know an Allegri side like it's not one that i watch and think oh this is champion football like i did i did a show with with bbc just before the game and i said to them this is a one 0 victory for juventus it's just it's so clear because this is just what they do and they're going to know how to do it against a side that doesn't have as much creativity up front
2: I essentially agree, and I think that's kind of the, um, the, the the point that I was getting at. And and I think what it seems like all of us thought of it with this Juventus team in this sort of matchup against Roma is um, there's just there's just more to Juventus than there is to Roma. There's more ideas um, than there is, even though they might on the surface sometimes look the same. And I I suppose then I do want to turn to the opposite side of that coin, which is is this not just more? grist for the mill of Mourinho is a busted flush. I thought the lack of ideas this Roma team had was, was really sharp contrast because they had more of the ball. They had a lot more of the ball. They're not the first team to get it against Juventus, but they, they didn't really have any great plan for what they were going to do with it.
1: No plan whatsoever, I think. In the first half, until he tied and came off after an hour, the ball was their plan was play the ball to Paolo Dybala, who dropped into the right-hand channel and asked him to try and do something by bending a ball into the back post and either getting a runner in and none of the runners ever timed their run correctly, be it or Zalewski, a couple of the kids from the academy, or Lukaku has just absolutely been spot on. He has been so ineffectual against Juventus and it's nothing new. And Bremer seems to thrive against him. And that's not unique to Juventus, by the way. That was my co-commentator for the game, Manuel Pascali, who used to be Kilmarnock captain and centre-back center centre himself, he said exactly the same. He said he remembered every time Inter would play against Torino when Bremer was there. Lukaku would just be completely anonymous and, and Bremer nullified him again and he seems to relish coming up against him. And Bremer, by the way, just to take the opportunity, I know this is a point about Roma, but Bremer's second season at Juventus has been absolutely outstanding. That's why he's earned the contract extension. But coming back to Roma, mm-hmm. it was very predictable and... Allegri loves predictability, especially when it comes to how to how to defend. They never got in behind Juventus, who admittedly sat deep, allowed Roma to have the ball. The second half, when the last 20 minutes or so, Juventus put just two banks of five there and said, break us down. Here's the ball. And no one did. Dybala had gone off the pitch by then and and there was just absolutely nothing. Um, they never looked like scoring. The closest they came was a header from Asmun, which was a really low percentage. Even then he did well to generate the power he did on it. And Pellegrini came on and he'd been an impact sub against Napoli, didn't really offer a great deal. I just don't think this Roma side knows exactly what they should be doing. I don't think this Roma side believes a great deal in, in what their coach is coming up with. I think it's still too much of a reliance on we're going to have a goal-scoring Dukaka and we're going to have a creative force in Dibala and between them, they will win us more matches than, than we'll lose, which is a fine approach when you're playing against 13 or 14 of the teams in Serie A. But we've consistently seen for Roma... Napoli, we're notwithstanding that when they come up against the, the bigger sides, they just don't seem to have a way of breaking them down. They didn't score against Inter, they didn't score against Lazio in the derby. There's just been countless occasions when they just don't ever really look like producing a great deal. Even then, there, a lot of their numbers have been bolstered elsewhere. You think that their goals for tally is helped by them scoring seven against Empoli. If you take that seven off, then you look at their numbers. It's, it's, it, it's just not great to be honest. And I don't really know beyond them playing a throughboard to Lukaku or Dybala shooting from outside the box or beating a couple of players, I don't really know what Roma's plan is. I don't watch them and, and get excited. I don't ever think this is going to be the... Because all of the build-up to this game was Roma won impressively against Napoli. Have they taken the next step? Is this team finally ready to show that they can not only beat the teams they're expected to beat, but also thrive in these six-pointers and beat their rivals? Something they haven't done in under previous management. They didn't do it under Paulo Fonseca. Mourinho was brought in to do that. And he just hasn't been able to do that, despite huge investment, despite lots being spent on... Wage bills, I know people will say they haven't spent a lot in terms of the way they've structured the, the various deals. But at, at no stage do I get excited about this team whatsoever. And I think if you can't get excited about them when they're playing against Juventus, which has historically been quite a nice, tasty rivalry for the last 20 years in, in Serie A, beyond that as well, and the fact that they're on the back of just beating Napoli, then I don't know when you're going to get excited about them, to be honest. And I don't really know how this changes. It all feels very stale.
2: Unfortunately, it has to be said, after another disappointing result for Napoli at home against Monza this weekend, are we even really still looking at results against Napoli and thinking of them as particularly landmark results in a season for some teams? I mean, Napoli are the champions of Italy, but they're also currently eighth in the table for a reason. They, they've dropped a lot of games. They have. It's just it's just the reality. But I think unless um, Mina had something else burning to say on that game, it might be time to get on to the team who are still leading this year's title race, Inter. And then we can talk about the the race between them and Juventus because Inter did drop points this weekend against Genoa, went 1-0 uh, up with Genoa before Dragushin scored the equaliser. And because this is January, we got an almost instantaneous report linking Dragushin with Tottenham Hotspur. I thought that's amazing how uh, quickly these things happen in the, uh, in the January transfer window. I don't actually know if those two things are related, but I did think it was very sort of, without being too sweeping with my brush, very Premier League timing that a player scores an important goal against a big team in another league. And then immediately, look, he's being linked to a Premier League club. Um, Mina, I know you had your eye on this game and perhaps weren't so impressed with the champions, with the champions, with the league leaders, sorry.
0: Just just to point on Dragosin, just because I do follow him, because I'm very disappointed that he's not playing for Juventus. He has, he, They have been tracking him for a while now, to be honest with you. um, I think that people just love seeing him score a big goal and then further exacerbating all the rumours. But Tottenham have had their eye on him for a while because Paratici knows him so well and he's working as a consultant right now because he doesn't have a full-time job Um, because of obviously what happened. When it came to Inter in Genoa... Become a member at patreon.com forward slash Chronicles for regular bonus episodes and content.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.